the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. It is a Thursday. It is the 22nd morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. And, uh, Guess who's back, back, back again. to be back indeed thank you so very much to the tremendously talented bench that i've got the bullpen if you will uh, ready to come in on a moment's notice i made a very very late decision over the weekend to take a trip down to boca raton florida to watch my son's bowl game the university of toledo rockets took on liberty the liberty flames in the uh, boca raton bowl on tuesday night i made a late decision to go down and watch uh, on Monday was the flight, so I missed Monday's show. Uh, obviously, the game was Tuesday, so I missed that show. And, of course, I flew back yesterday in the morning, so I missed yesterday's show. So uh, I want to say, first of all, congratulations to the Toledo Rockets for their MAC championship and their bowl. And you dig it! 
terrific, terrific season for the Rockets. My son's freshman season with Toledo, so uh, he's uh, he's so excited about the next three years. He's a redshirt freshman there, so congrats to them. And then, as I said, thank you so very much to the team that jumped in for me. Uh, Khalid uh, Namar on Monday uh, stepped in for me. I know Peter Kersenow was going to be with me on Tuesday anyway for his regular uh, visit. I just asked him, hey, you want to do the whole show? And Pete said, I'm in. Got it. And then yesterday, Rob Walgate, uh, my man from uh, the Ohio Roundtable, I've got uh, some really, really great talent, some really, really smart people who bring you a lot of great information and education and entertainment whenever I'm not around. So I'm very, very blessed to have that. It's it's nice to know that you have a little flexibility where if you do want to make a last-minute decision. And uh, thanks to my daughter, by the way, for the free flight. That's the only reason I made the decision. <laughs> my daughter had a bunch of miles on a credit card, her first credit card. She's a college senior at Hillsdale. She'll be uh, graduating in May, but she uh, was smart enough to get her first credit card, and it was a um, mileage plus program type thing. So she had a free flight there, and she's the one who said, Dad, go down and watch uh, my brother uh, here. You know, and uh, she said that to me, of course. And so I said, you know what? Love it. Let's do it. So uh, thanks. It's nice to have the opportunity to go down and do things like that and know that the show is in good hands. So hopefully you enjoyed the conversations of the last three days, and hopefully you're going to enjoy uh, the conversations that we have uh, set up for you this morning. And we do have a lot of things to talk about. Uh, before we do any of it, what do you say we go ahead and say our pledge? Uh, Patriots, please rise. Did you do this while I was gone? I wonder. I, I've never asked my host, my fill-in host, if they do the uh, pledge whenever I'm not around. Uh, but I know that it means a lot to everybody who listens, and so let's go ahead and do just that. Patriots, face your flag. Put your hand on your heart. If you are a believer in spending more money on security of foreign borders than you do our own, well, then you really don't have much respect for that flag in the first place. You are, therefore, exempted from the request to stand and pledge your allegiance to it. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, we will stand tall. We will throw our shoulders back. We will put our hand on our hearts and we will say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, friends, 14 minutes after the hour. Coming up on the program in about a half an hour at 9.45. He's going to be a little bit late today. He's got a tighter schedule. We'll be Jim Jordan. Jordan uh, Jim Jordan normally joins us on Mondays, but, of course, I was off, so he bumped to today the incoming speaker, or I beg your pardon, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. The speaker battle is another story. Uh, but he'll join us uh, to talk about a whole host of very important issues, not the least of which is a report that he and his, uh, four other Republican House members put together on security and the absence thereof on January 6th. Why it is that the Democrats and Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi would not provide much-needed security for protests that were going to happen on January 6th back in 2021. Uh, they were not allowed to be a part of the January 6th Select Committee, these five members. They were the appointed members by uh, Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, but Nancy Pelosi rejected the first two of them, Jordan and Banks, and so McCarthy pulled them all off the table and said, go to hell. If you're not going to let us have who we want on there because you're afraid they're going to ask questions that you don't want the answers to reported to the public, well, then you go and have your dog and pony show. We're not going to participate. So they did. They had two never-Trump Republicans on that panel of nine, uh, 
Cheney and Kinzinger, but uh, since they wouldn't let uh, McCarthy have the Republicans he wanted on that panel, they didn't even participate at all. And now we have the joke of a referral to the DOJ of President Trump for potential criminal charges. It's an absolute embarrassment. It's a joke. And Jim Jordan and I will talk about that, among other things, at 945, not 935. Dr. Everett Piper at 10 o'clock with his regular Thursday Culture War visit. And Logan Spina is an attorney representing Vivian Garrity, who is a teacher, or was anyway, in Jackson schools here in Ohio. And um, she she left. Because she was being forced, she says, in the lawsuit against the school district, to refer to students by made-up names and made-up pronouns, something she refused to do. Because she knew, well, in her heart of hearts, and not only that, through her faith, what a boy was and what a girl is. And she refused to misidentify them based on their own little whims. Uh, so she's out of a job, and now she is suing the school district. And Vivian Garrity, or a bigger pardon, uh, uh, Logan Spina is representing Vivian Garrity, representing uh, 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 Alliance Defending Freedom. So ADF is on the case, again, fighting for religious liberty and fighting for the First Amendment and free speech, which is something, of course, you know I support very greatly. So there you have it. Jim Jordan in about uh, half an hour, Dr. Everett Piper, Logan Spina, and we're looking forward to those conversations as well as conversations with you. Now, I want to start with this 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 bill. Um, I mean, let's just let's just break it down, if we could, by the obvious. This is a spending bill filled with Democrat pork and a lot of rhino pork as well. It's $1.7 trillion, and it funds virtually every Democrat project and priority that there is. It funds far too many rhino Republican priorities as well, and it doesn't do much of anything for the United States of America. This is the very picture identity of America Last. President Trump ushered in the era of America first. I'll never forget his line in one of his very first press conferences when he was talking about his um, his agenda. He said, I'm the president of, uh, I'm not the president of Paris. I'm here to be the president of Pittsburgh. In other words, Americans and American cities, not global issues. That's first. Everything else comes second. And it was such a refreshing message it resonated with millions upon millions of Americans who felt like they were forgotten during the Obama administration. They were forgotten. Obama was a globalist. Obama made no bones about his international uh, agenda. And Americans came last. Donald Trump came in and said, no, it's Americans first, America first. Well, here in America today, under Joe Biden, we are under invasion we are under siege our southern border is seeing somewhere around the neighborhood of 8000 new illegal crossings per day and if title 42 is is uh, ended which it has been held for now by the supreme court but if it is ended that 8000 according to the experts will rise to 18000 a day even Democrat experts on the, in the uh, uh, field of immigration admit that the United States cannot function as it has if it receives 5,000 new crossings per day. But they are literally predicting more than triple that if the Democrats get their way. We are under siege. 
And in response to that siege, the Democrats in Congress have written a 4,155-page bill that they expect people to read, talking about members of Congress and their staffs, to read and then cast a vote upon in about 24 hours. A 24-hour period of time. They wanted to vote on it last night. It got bumped a little bit. Now they're desperate to make sure it gets done before Christmas. And desperate to help them get there? Republicans like Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell is perfectly happy to let the Democrats have their vote, and he will vote for it. He will support it. He said, as a matter of fact, that what's in this bill, as if he should knows, because it's 4,155 pages, guaranteed he hasn't read it all either, but he knows that what's in this bill is unlimited cash for Ukraine. Unlimited cash for Ukraine. And he said that's good because that should be the number one priority for the United States, according to most Republicans. Not our border's security, but the Ukrainian border with Russia. That's the one where our money should go. That's the one where our priority should lie. Making sure the Defense Department can deal with the major threats coming from Russia and China providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians. That's the number one priority for the United States right now, according to most Republicans. I'd like to know how many Republicans he spoke with. I'd like to know how many American citizens he spoke with. I'd like to know how many middle-class Americans told him, yes, sir, Chairman uh, or uh, 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 Minority Leader McConnell, Yes, sir, our number one priority is Ukraine. Not our energy bills being through the roof. Not inflation continuing at over 7%, completely outpacing wage growth. Not the southern invasion. Not record numbers of fentanyl and drug overdoses. Not record amounts of human trafficking. Not violent crimes spiking in big cities all over this country. No, those aren't our priorities. Not our education, our schools, which are failing on the international stage compared to other countries. Not to mention the indoctrination of, of woke uh, curricula of all of our school students. None of those things are our priority. Our priority is, boy, I hope Ukraine can hold off Russia. That's what he said. That's what he said out loud in his support of this ridiculous spending bill that gives $45 billion to Ukraine. Now, I talked about America first. Let's talk about America first. $45 billion for Ukraine to continue to defend its border. What in this omnibus bill supported by Mitch McConnell, who has no business whatsoever still being in Washington, has no business whatsoever still leading the uh, the uh, minority in the Senate? A man, by the way, who said literally in response to the insane and unfair criminal referral to the DOJ of former President Donald Trump that everyone knows who was responsible for what happened that day, literally throwing Trump under the bus. How this guy is still there, I don't know. But as it pertains to border security and the point I made about America first, 
$410 billion goes for, I'm sorry, $410 million goes for enhanced border security for Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia, and Oman. As noted, another $45 billion outlay to Ukraine. But what about the American border? Well, according to the bill, the spending bill provides $1.5 billion for U.S. Customs and Border Protection, border management requirements. So keep the numbers in your head. $45 billion for Ukraine, $1.5 billion for American, the American border. But here's the caveat. None of the funds allocated in that $1.5 billion may be used to hire or acquire to maintain or enhance border security technology and capabilities. What that means is, in the $1.5 billion laid out for American border security, it expressly prohibits Customs and Border Protection from using it to improve border security. (laughs) What? No, it's real. No more security for the southern border of the United States. 1.5, or excuse me, 45 billion to help secure the border from Russians in Ukraine and a 410 million dollar outlay for Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, Tunisia, and Oman to secure their borders. And the Republicans are playing right along with it. All Mitch McConnell has got to do is tell the Senate, nope, not getting there. Not a chance, not before the end of this lame duck session. We can take this up again in February. After, we'll we'll pass a short-term extension now, but then after the new Congress is sworn in, the new Republican-controlled House, then we'll talk about a long-term omnibus spending package. Instead, he's ready to just completely quit and capitulate so nobody gets stuck staying in Washington, D.C., debating all the way through Christmas. We are in so much trouble. Phone lines, friends, are open to you at 216-901-0945, It's Always Right Radio, back in action on AM 1420, The Answer. All right, eight twenty or excuse me, nine twenty-eight as we uh, roll onward. Uh, TJ is in early this morning. He wants to talk about that omnibus, on, omnibus mess that I just described. Hey, TJ, good morning. Hi, Bob. You know, Bob, what I, a lot of things bug me about this bill that I know, but the one that really sticks on me is that one about paying for the borders in other countries. Yeah. You know, Bob, that would be like you building a security fence for your neighbor to protect their property, and then you leave your property wide open. And if you did something like that, the whole neighborhood would say, you know, that man's nuts. But, I mean, this is what we're well, doing. But you, you, you know what would make it's – it's a decent analogy, but at least it's my money. If, if with my money I decide to leave my property wide open and potentially vulnerable to threats from invaders, home invaders, and so on and so forth, but I protected my neighbor, that's my call. It's my money. What ticks me off, TJ, is what our government is doing is not their money. It's ours. They're well, not spending a- their money. They're spending our tax dollars. Uh, you know, whatever, I don't know whatever you, your, where your checks come from or where my checks come from. There's money taken out in taxes every single paycheck and it goes to the federal government. And now that I know 
some of those dollars that they take away from me are being sent to Jordan and Oman and, and some of these other places, and Ukraine, like I just talked about, that is what's more infuriating. That's a good point, Bob. That, that, no, that's really a good point. Uh, I, I mean, this, this, this whole thing is just, uh, I don't know, it's unbelievable. I mean, it when, is. And, and they have to be doing, you know, one, one real quick thing, too, with the Ukraine. I hear people on our side saying, we got to do this, we got to send more money. Now, I don't know, but I do know one thing. There's no accountability on what, where the money's going. Nope. If we're going to send it, let us know what they're spending it on. We're finding out they're buying properties in Florida, these oligarchs in Ukraine. They're buying, uh, uh, in the Netherlands, they're buying up property. With our tax money, there's no accountability. I was just told by a radio colleague of mine in Houston that uh, uh, Zelensky's wife just spent $44,000 in a single afternoon shopping in a Paris shopping mall. So, is that all her money? Or is some of that my money from my paycheck and your money from your paycheck and so on and so forth? Those are the questions that I want answers to. Thanks, DJ. Appreciate you launching the uh, calls today. 216-901-0945. We'll take more. We'll talk more right after the news. AM 1420. The sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always write radio with Bob France on the answer. Okay. Uh, short segment here, short ish. Got about five minutes. Because I got to clear the space for uh, Congressman Jordan. He's going to be joining me about uh, 9 45 this morning. Um, I want to ask you if you're ready to go to war with Russia. And if you're wondering why in the heck I'm asking such a radical question, well, ask your radical president. Joe Biden said uh, yesterday, as Zelensky came and spoke to Congress, begging for more money. And it's always, thank you, it's not enough, more, more, more. Thank you, it's not enough, more, more, more. The hand is always out. And I'm not saying, of course, we ignore the people of Ukraine. We obviously do not. But there has to be a limit to what our contribution can be. And our president said that there is no such limit. Joe Biden said yesterday that we will continue to fund and support Ukraine indefinitely. He will continue, and we will continue with our dollars, to continue to fund and support Ukraine no matter how long it takes. This is what Biden said yesterday, his pledge, which begs the question, for how long it takes to do what? What's the end game? At what point is it over? At what point will Ukraine be satisfied and you be satisfied that we funded them until it was as long as it took? What does that mean? Essentially, the Ukrainian war started when Russia invaded Ukraine. So, if the Russians all retreat back to their side of the border, are we now back to the beginning of this whole thing, and now we can stop spending $100 billion American tax dollars on a foreign country and their foreign conflict? Is that all it would take? Because maybe that's achievable in the short term. But Tucker was talking about this last night, and I tend to agree. 
Zelensky does not speak like somebody who is just going to be satisfied going back to the previous status quo, where the Russians are on their side and the Ukrainians are on their side of the border, and that's it. He doesn't sound like somebody who's going to stop until there's regime change in Russia, until Vladimir Putin is disposed or deposed. Uh, No, disposed of. Yeah, let's do it that way. Disposed of or deposed. Either one works. He's not going to be satisfied until Putin's gone. And Biden said, we will do this no matter how long it takes. So if that's the case, here's what we have. If you really break it down very simply, here's what we have. We have the President of the United States pledging an unlimited amount of money no limit, for an indefinite period of time, because he said as long as it takes, to achieve an undefined goal, which has not yet been defined, obviously. What does victory look like? What does security look like? What does it mean? At what point will Zelensky be satisfied? At what point will he not come back to the American Congress and the American people with his hat in his hand saying, fill her up. We need more, 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 more. And by the way, what about in other NATO countries? Why is the United States all $32 trillion of our debt uh, carrying you know, around our neck like, a, like an albatross? Why do we have to be the primary funder of the Ukrainian war effort? What about the, what about the other NATO countries? What about the United Nations not including the United States portion? Why aren't they helping to fund this? Why is it always us? Are you okay with going to war against Russia? I repeat, because if he says we will support Ukraine until the very end, and at the very end involves Putin being disposed of, guess what? That means we will have to either be fighting a proxy war against Russia, if not a direct war against Russia. You ready for that? Because that's exactly what Biden essentially uh, acknowledged yesterday. I welcome your thoughts. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Quick time out. Back with Jim Jordan next. Okay, 946 on this Thursday now. It's a little bit of a weird feeling here because normally it's a Monday as we start our work week that we talk with the soon-to-be chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Congressman Jim Jordan. But he's with us today. Uh, Congressman, good to have you. How are you, sir? I'm fine, Bob. Uh, I'm, I'm doing fine. Merry Christmas to you and your family and all your listeners. Well, Merry Christmas to you, too, uh, Congressman Jordan. Um, I'm surprised to hear you uh, sound so alert and awake right now, because I assume you spent all <laughs> night reading 4,155 pages before, uh, before a responsible vote can be cast on an omnibus spending bill, right? Yeah, well, you, you know what? All you have to read is my, my colleague and friend Dan Bishop's uh, Twitter feed uh, or, or Twitter, whatever they call it, the number of tweets he put out there uh, a couple the days thread, ago yeah. talking about all this Stupid, literally stupid things we are spending American tax dollars on. And I'll tell you one of them that jumps to the top of my list is the fact that the, the FBI is getting a billion-dollar increase. Uh, they're getting, uh, in this bill, they're getting uh, $500 million more than they even asked for uh, in, in the president's budget. So th- that just shows you how ridiculous this thing, and not addressing the border situation, on and on we could go. 
uh, funding for what plankton and studies on bee. I mean, Dan did a great job of just laying out some of the stupid things that that um, your listeners' tax money is going to, and yet you got Republicans in the Senate who are going to let this happen, which makes no sense to me. Well, you know, let's let's talk about the forty-five billion dollar outlay for Ukraine, which will bring the right. total so far of the welfare to the Ukraine uh, F war effort uh, to over a hundred billion dollars. Uh, Mitch McConnell said this is literally the number one priority for Americans right now, quote, according to most Republicans. Now, I don't know how many Republicans he surveyed when he made that statement, but the, the minority leader in the Senate who supports this spending bill, getting it passed now before Christmas and before the lame duck session ends, and before you and the other Republicans yeah. can take over in the House, he says this is the most important priority. Uh, I'm going to assume you disagree with that. Yeah, I disagree, and so do the American people. I don't know of one constituent who's come up to me the, the, uh, in, in the 4th District of Ohio, the families that I get the privilege of representing in the 4th District of Ohio, who've come up to me and said, oh, make sure you send billions of dollars to Ukraine. Now, look, we're pulling for Ukraine, but I didn't vote for the last big spending thing that, that, that sent money to Ukraine. I'm certainly not going to vote for this. So no one is saying that. Um, and the idea that this is this is what the Republican Party is going to do just days before the the cavalry is coming over the hill. I mean, we're going to have a majority in the House in, in what now, 12 days on January 3rd? Why not wait until then to do a spending bill? Because uh, you know we're not going to spend it on B studies and plankton and, and that much money to Ukraine and all this other crazy stuff in there. And don't forget the LGBTQ Museum and the Nancy Pelosi Federal Building, uh, her, which is, yeah. her name is going to go yeah. That's all covered in this, too. But, Congressman, I, I want you to answer it, not ask it. You just said, why not wait until the cavalry comes over the hill? That's a perfect question. Yeah. What's, what's the answer? I mean, can you, can, I mean do, we, do you have any idea what your colleagues are thinking there, particularly on the Senate side? Why not wait? Yeah, because the bottom line is they like to spend. They like yeah. spending other people's money. In Meanwhile, other words, they're Democrats. Well, well, meanwhile, the, the, I think the debt payment, I gotta go back and check these numbers, but I believe the debt payment for the first two months of the fiscal year, so October, November, I think we spent over a hundred billion dollars in debt service. So the, the interest on the debt, think, just run that out over, to, over 12 months, that's, that's somewhere between six and seven hundred billion dollars. We're spending eight hundred thirty billion on national defense, and you're gonna spend seven hundred, six to seven hundred on, on interest payments? Like, holy cow, maybe we got to slow down this spending, guys. Maybe we need to address this situation and quit just making it worse. But no, no, no. We're going to have museums for Nancy Pelosi. We're going to study plankton, and we're going to send $45 billion to Ukraine while we got a 30-some trillion dollar debt and over a $100 billion interest payment we've made now in the first two months of the fiscal year. That is ridiculous. That is putting us on an even uh, a sooner or a sharper path to, to, uh, to, to some kind of debt crisis makes no sense, but that's what Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer and Joe Biden are doing. Let me focus on one other thing on this uh, issue on what's in the bill. Uh, it includes hundreds of millions of dollars for border security for other countries, not named the United States. And that's not even counting the $45 billion to Ukraine we just talked about. We're talking about Oman and Jordan and other Middle Eastern countries and Northern African countries. Um, meanwhile, at our border, we got five to yeah. eight thousand new crossers a day. If and when Title Forty Two is lifted, and thank God for the courts that that, that decision was stayed. Uh, but if and when that happens, the experts predict that number will jump to eight eighteen thousand crossings per day. Uh, now, even Democrats admit that we can't handle and remain the same nation we are at five thousand a day, much less if they more than triple that to eighteen thousand per day. Um, and again, and and here's Kamala Harris 
blaming the GOP, saying, you guys, the Republicans, simply will not come to them and work with them on any meaningful immigration reform. How do you respond to that? I mean, it's ridiculous, but everything this administration has done is ridiculous. And I think what it underscores, too, in my mind is, this is why this town was so out to get President Trump, because there is nothing that's going on right now that's good, that, that, that puts America first. So when President Trump came to this town and he talked about make America great again, he talked about America first. That's what he was supposed to America first is securing our border before you send money to Egypt and Saudi Arabia and, and Ukraine. But no, 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 that's not what the Democrats want to do, and it looks like some Republicans want to do. So it, it, that, that is the problem, and it's, you have to focus on what's best for our country. We want, we're going to stay involved in the world. We're the leader of the world, but let's do it in a way that makes sense and that is in the best interest of the United States. And then for, for them to turn around and try to blame Republicans – for this, the only thing the only thing left is this Title Forty Two. But remember, Bob, it's not supposed to be what what you use to secure your border. It just happens to be because of the pandemic, we were we were able to use it and make a chaotic situation a little less chaotic. But now they want to get rid of that too and have no border, literally zero thing, zero way to enforce our border. So again, that just underscores what why they went after President Trump so much because he truly believed in. And, make, and putting America policy and American interests first. Well, you know, and when, when, when Kamala Harris says that the Republicans have been uh, unwilling to engage in any meaningful reform that could fix what we are witnessing, I'm thinking to myself, Remain in Mexico policy was pretty meaningful reform uh, because it kept the asylum seekers on sure the was. other side. There was an agreement struck by President Trump and the Mexican government. All Biden had to do was continue that. Uh, the border wall was absolutely something that could bring meaningful reform because it could fix what we are witnessing, which is a crisis in terms of security for the United States side and humanitarian crisis for the crossers yep. who have all been yep. told you can do this and 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 they're brought here with the carrot from uh, from Kamala that says the only meaningful reform would be an immigration bill that provides a legal pathway to citizenship and a legal yes. presence in the country and congressman if you promise a legal pathway to citizenship and a legal presence in the country, 5000 that was going to be 18000 is going to be 80000 a day the whole world is going to descend upon us when you when you tell the world Come to America, and you'll get to stay. And when you come, you won't have to wait in Mexico while we evaluate your claim. And when you get here, there's no wall to get over because they, they're not going to build it. Who wouldn't come? That, that's the situation. You don't have to wait in Mexico. You don't have to climb over a wall. When you get here, you get to go wherever you want, and you will get to stay. And the Democrats say, and we want to put you on a path to citizenship, even though you broke the law when you came here. What, what is that? And it, it is not humanitarian because we know all the terrible things that are happening, particularly to, to kids and to, and to women on this, this trek, and the cartels are getting rich, and then they're also sending fentanyl here, which is harming our country. It is a disaster, but it's being done intentionally because they don't believe in borders. They don't believe in putting the interests of America first. They don't be, I mean, it's, it's that bad. <clears throat> and again, to have Republican senators in the Senate go along with this when in literally 13 days, 12 days, we're going to have a majority in the House and we could stop this stuff, makes absolutely no sense. I could talk about this with you for hours, uh, but in the interest of our time here, let's move on. I want to talk about report of investigation, security failures at the United States Capitol on January 6, 2021, prepared by Jim Banks, Rodney Davis, Jim Jordan, Kelly Armstrong, and Troy Nels. Tell us what this is. There was a pattern 
of the sergeant at arms working with Pelosi's staff on all decisions. And frankly, what and, and those meetings as they were preparing for the security posture they were going to have on January 6th, many of those meetings, Republicans weren't even allowed at. They didn't know the meeting was happening. And then, of course, when, when, when violence breaks out on January 6th, the sergeant of arms, he basically has to go consult with other people because of this pattern that's been developed. He has, he has to consult with the speaker's office before he can make a decision. And it, it's like that was the problem. And, and it was all based on – remember that that uh, report early on that talked about they were concerned – Democrats were concerned about the optics of having the National Guard here on January 6th. The reason they were concerned about the optics of having a heavy pro- police presence here was because of what they allowed to happen and condoned and supported – during the summer of 2020, when you had the BLM riots all over the all over the country, that is the situation. And and of course, the January 6th committee didn't focus on that one bit. They focused on going after President Trump, like the Democrats have been doing for seven years, and they focused on telling the American people lies. And, I, and one lie I always point out, Bob. One of the, we caught him in several lies, and we didn't even get to see the evidence, and we didn't get to see all the transcripts and do, be in the depositions. But one of the lies they did was about me. They played in one of those hearings a videotape where they said that they played the clip from the videotape where I said January 6th is the ultimate date of significance in a presidential election contest. And what they left off was the first part of that clip where I said the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg said January 6th is the ultimate date of significance in a presidential contest. That sort of changes the meaning, for goodness sake. But I was talking about that is the ultimate date because that's when you certify the electors. And we were making our arguments about what went wrong in so many of these states relative to the, the legislature setting the laws for the election. It, it's, it's so bad what this committee is because it was totally partisan, totally political, totally out to get President Trump, and they didn't focus on the one thing they should have, which is making sure the people's capital is protected. Um, quick follow on that. Um, a lot of reports were that President Trump himself, knowing that there were going to be protests uh, uh, of the certification of the election, which there should have been. That's why he was speaking that day and so forth. There was a, yep. there were a lot of reasons. And by the way, that is not unprecedented either. If we go back to the 2016 certification sure. uh, in January of 2017, of course, how many Democrats actually spoke and said, I do not certify uh, on behalf of the, uh, the, the, the votes uh, of my state because of this, that, and the other. They've been doing this forever. Yeah, but they did, Democrats objected to Alabama. President Trump won Alabama by like a hundred points. I mean, right. like thirty points. We're going to say like they can object to Alabama, but Jim Jordan is not allowed to raise concerns and object to Pennsylvania, where they unconstitutionally changed their election law in the run up to the election. Right. I mean, you got to be kidding me. Jamie Raskin objected to Florida in in uh, in twenty seventeen on January sixth. So yeah, but, but they but oh no no. The, but we're not allowed we're, to do that. Yeah, Repub- Republicans are not allowed to democracy. do that. Right, yeah. that's an Protecting attack on democracy. democracy. Right. So, so the question that I have though is is about that. Um, the, multiple reports were, but I don't know if there's co- confirmation that President Trump himself requested National Guard presence at the Capitol because he knew there were going to be a lot of uh, people protesting peacefully and patriotically, as he asked them to do. By the way, but we also know that large crowds, particularly with counter protesters, there can lead to problems. Did he request na- uh, uh, National he Guard had- presence there, and was it rejected by Nancy Pelosi? Uh, the president has said he requested it. The, his chief of staff has said that, that they requested it. Um, and, and, and Nancy Pelosi uh, is in charge of the Capitol. So that, 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 I haven't seen any type of formal communication, but I know what the president said. I know what the chief of staff at the White House has said. Um, and I know the communications we've seen between the sergeant of arms and Pelosi's office um, about, about them, the, the, their, their concerns about this and how this pattern had developed over over the, the whole month prior to from December uh, through, uh, through January 6th.
Got it. I, I, I just wanted to see if there's confirmation of that because uh, the left denies that it ever took place, and I've heard a, a, a number of others say exactly what you just said. Last thing for you, sir, um, the criminal referral itself. I know you just basically outlined who that committee was and what they were. The fact that you and Banks and Davis and Nelson and Armstrong weren't all out onto that committee in the first place uh, lets you know what its agenda was, and that was to sure. do exactly what they did, prosecute Donald Trump and stop him from ever running again. Um, you Just briefly your thoughts on the criminal referral and what you think will be done by the deal it's ridiculous it's ridiculous but remember they've been out to get this guy um now for seven years and yeah. and uh, my, my colleague matt gates said it best when he talked about the fbi but that you can apply the, the democrats i think in general but w- w- when are they when are they not going to try to to go after president trump and influence an election because remember they they spied on his campaign in 2016 in 2018 it was the Mueller report in 2020 they suppressed the hunter biden story they, then they paid twitter to help him do it we're learning that here the, the, the last week. In, in 2022, they raided his home 91 days before the midterm election. And then, of course, for the 2024 presidential race, three days after he announces he's running for president, they name a special counsel that's going to harass him for the next two years. And, oh, and long comes the January 6th partisan committee, nine people who voted to impeach him. And what do they do? They refer him to the Justice Department. So I, I, just the way the Democrats operate, because, again, they don't want President Trump back in Washington standing up for the American people, putting the interests of the American people first, making America great again. They don't want that. They want to continue to pass these $1.7 trillion omnibus bills that give more you know, do more concern about the border in uh, foreign countries than, than our own darn border. Congressman Jim Jordan, uh, passionate uh, uh, explanation and obviously spot on. I appreciate all you're doing, sir. Thank you very much. You Keep up the great work. Merry Christmas to you, and I look forward to Merry talking Christmas. to you again soon. Thanks, Bob. Take care. Thank, thank you, sir. That's Jim Jordan. It's 10.01. We'll take our time out here. We'll come back after the news. Dr. Everett Piper, ready to fight and battle the culture war for us once again. Coming up on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now, 10 minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks to Jim Jordan who joined us last segment. <clears throat> Certainly appreciated that. If you missed the conversation with the soon to be uh, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, you're going to want to check that out uh, sometime this afternoon after the show at uh, whkradio.com on the podcast page. It is the 22nd morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Polar Vortex, remember that word? They're not using that this time around. They're calling it a, an Arctic blast. Some are just calling it a deep freeze. Whatever you want to call it, it's going to be pretty significant. So we're going to talk a little bit about that next hour. We're going to talk about what you need to do to prepare for it because uh, it's significant. Uh, we're talking about two degree. Well, we're talking about minus two, minus three, then like four and five, and that's just straight temperatures. That doesn't count wind chill, which is going to cut through. And uh, uh, if you've got uh, any concerns about pipes and uh, um, car batteries and so on and so forth, we need to talk about that. So we'll do that. It's a big story. Joining me now for a couple of other big stories, one of the generals in of our of our army in the ongoing culture wars, Doctor Everett Piper. He is a former university president. 
He is well-known as a best-selling author. He is also a weekly columnist for the Washington Times. He is a podcast radio host called The Rebellion. You should look for that wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, he's now a uh, county commissioner, or he will be in uh, January when he takes over in his native Oklahoma. Dr. Piper, always a pleasure. Good to have you back. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I I hope the reception is good. I am home on Skype, so I should have a good connection, but that Arctic blast is hitting me right now. It has dropped 40 degrees in the last four to six hours here in Oklahoma. Wow. What was it? What what, what did you start at? It it was in the mid-40s at 3 o'clock this morning, and it is now around 4 degrees, and it is 20-mile-an-hour winds. It's just crazy cold right now. I was out trying to take care of my horses and cows before I got on this uh, this show with you, try to keep them from freezing. Well, you know what? See, right now I'm showing 38, and and it's the same thing's going to happen here. It just hasn't happened yet. It's on its way. That uh, that blast is coming south, obviously, and uh, and and from the, from the west too. Our weather pattern is from west to east, so um, it'll be about that this evening. They're looking at like two degrees, three degrees, and then negative um, 12, 13, 14 potentially with wind chill. Yeah. So just just because I'm curious, I've never been a farmer. I've never been a rancher. How do horses and cows survive this type of crazy uh, this type of crazy cold? My cows are probably fine, especially I have Scottish Highlanders, so they're made with they're the long haired cows. They look like uh, sheepdogs with hair with horns. Okay. Um, so I that's they're fine. Um, the the issue is keeping water from freezing, so you have to go up and break the water up all the time. So they've got something to drink. Now my horses, I've got them blanketed up. Um, and uh, in a barn, so they're a little, uh, I baby them a little bit more than my cows. Well, I don't blame you. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not knowing anything about the animals. I mean, I just look at a, a horse, obviously very, very short hair, and I think, boy, that would be just terrible exposure to the kind of winds we're talking about, wind chill factor and those kind of things. Uh, so blankets are enough, though. The blankets are enough to keep them, uh, keep them okay. Uh, yeah, and some of your horses, they get, uh, they get a little bit more bushy. They grow a winter coat. Okay. And some horses get get pretty bushy, and they're fine. I have a quarter horse. I don't even have him blanketed, but he does have access to the barn to get out of the wind. But I've got two thoroughbreds, and they've got shorter hair. They don't get a very good winter coat. Right. So the, I have a horse blanket on both of them. Okay. Wow. Well, that's so, so good to know. I mean, everybody's got to prepare for things like this. It's kind of crazy. It's kind of a generational type of deep freeze that they're talking about. I think the last one that was significant like this was in the early 80s uh, in terms of temperatures. Not snowfall. We're not expecting a ton of snow, at least we're not anyway, but just the t- cold temperatures and the biting winds. That's uh, that's a thing to deal with. So, All right, Dr. Piper, let's talk about dealing with other things now. Uh, we are, of course, uh, on the verge of Christmas. Uh, Christmas Eve is, is in two days. Um, let's talk a little bit about... Um, uh, what child is this? You you wrote a, a, a Facebook post, or you shared a Facebook post. I don't know if you actually wrote it or not, uh, but about <clears throat> excuse me about the Christmas Eve story and about the uh, uh, Christ the King and and what is kind of separating fable from from reality. Uh, you posted a, a performance by Andrea Bocelli. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your your feelings on this as we approach Christmas. Well, I did write that, and I'll probably work on editing it today and make it my Washington Times column for next week. Next week, so it's oh, kind of a rough draft. Yeah. So, all that said, um, uh, Andrea Bocelli has a just wonderful, wonderful performance. It was 2009 here in the United States at the Kodak Theater. He and um, mm. uh, and Blige, uh, what's her name? Uh, is it Shirley Blige? What's her first Ma- name? Ma- I can't Ma- remember. Blige? Anyway, Mary, Ma- J. Mary J. Blige. Yeah. The the two of them perform the classic Christmas Carol 
what child is this? And I thought, you know, that's the question of the ages, isn't it? What child is this? Who is Jesus? Who is this babe in a manger? Is this just a fable? Is it a, is it a fairy tale? Is it the opiate of the masses? You know, the sedative for those who prefer fairy tales over realities, as Marx would tell us. Mm-hmm. Is this just an um, a interesting story, like maybe King Arthur, Sir Galahad, Beowulf? Um, where we proved to ourselves once again that we always need heroes. They may not be real, but we need heroes to to look to. Or is this story real? Well, if you look to the lessons of history and the lessons of uh, Scripture, there's no dissent in terms of the answer to that. This story is real. Jesus isn't just a leader. He's our Lord. He's not just a mere scholar. He is called Mighty God. Christmas is the story of that babe born in a manger in Bethlehem, the incarnation of the the Son of God. Um, This is the story of Christ the King, whom the shepherds guard and angels sing. That's another stanza from What Child Is This? Now, if you just rattle through some of the names that the Bible gives Jesus, there's no question what the what the message is here. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the Root of David. He's the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He's the, uh, he's, he's the Lamb without blemish. He's the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Son of Mary. He's the Word made flesh and dwelling among us. He's the heir of all things. Without him was not anything made that was made. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He's the Holy One, the True One. You know, I go on and on. He's the Lion of Judah. He's the Lamb of God. He's my Lord, and he's my Savior. He's my King. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the fullness of God. Um, the, the, The creeds tell us that he is begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one being with the Father. Is there any confusion in what history tells us from the creeds and what Scripture tells us throughout the Gospels as well as the epistles that Jesus was declared divine from day one? This wasn't made up at the Council of Nicaea. It wasn't elaborated on later in the Athanasian Creed. This, Those two things, the Nicaean Creed and the Athanasian Creed, are vital to our faith, but what are they grounded in? the scriptural definition of who Jesus is. So I go back to one of the other stanzas in uh, What Child Is This? And Mm -hmm. it's haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. The king of kings salvation brings, let loving hearts enthrone him. And C.S. Lewis says this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. But if true, of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So answering the question, Answering the question, what child is this, is the most important question and the most important answer of all time. And it's a beautiful rendition. Go Google uh, Andrea Bocelli and his performance of What Child Is This at the Kodak Theater. It's wonderful. Or or if your uh, Facebook is public, you can pull it right off off of your Facebook page. Did you tweet it as well, by chance? Uh, I haven't because I don't have a shorter version <laughs> to tweet yet, but I will Oh, soon. yeah, of okay. course. I'm, yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, because of the, the character count. Okay, but it is there on Facebook, on Dr. Piper's Facebook post. You can find it there as well with Andrea Bocelli, and it's a, uh, it's a beautiful rendition, as he just said, and uh, pays particular attention to the lyrics now that you know just a little bit more about what is really being asked there. So good stuff, Dr. Piper. We'll use this as our break, and we'll come back and talk about something decidedly different, uh, and that is whether or not we're ready to go to war. The kind of culture war I kind of speak of uh, very generally or very very uh, figuratively, uh, it may be a lot more literal. 
And I don't mean bloodshed, but I do mean we have to be willing to fight. That's what you wrote about last week, and we're going to talk about it as we continue on AM 1420 The Answer. All right, 1022, we continue now with Dr. Everett Piper, this time turning our attention to his most recent piece for the Washington Times. Uh, Public drag queen shows should be sued for child endangerment. And Dr. Piper, you start out talking about uh, some stuff that you said about fighting back against this uh, last week and earlier talking about the groomers, and um, you went further. I said that parents who care about their children need to run toward the storm, not away from it. Lead with your right. Don't retreat. Soldiers don't flee. They fight. Uh, and you go on to talk about the importance of this, because if we do, if we are cowed, if we are afraid to stand up for what is right as this grooming and this uh, mind alteration, if you will, of our children is allowed to continue unabated, we will lose them. We will lose a generation and generations to come because of it. So sometimes there is a time to fight. And again, that doesn't mean going and beating people up, but we cannot just sit passively by while this stuff continues to happen to our children. Tell us more. I, I really, you know, I met with a group of uh, Christian leaders in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, uh, last week. And these are good people. They understand the problem of these, quote-unquote, family-friendly drag queen performances. They've signed petitions against them here in Bartlesville, but our city leaders are not paying attention to us. The city council is being intimidated by the left, by the LGBT crew group here in Heartland America, and they're going to allow them to continue to have these public performances in a public park here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, next year. And I encourage these people, you need to fight It is time to call these leaders, our community leaders, our city council, our mayor, our city, uh, our police. We need to call them out and say that men who get their kicks out of dressing up like women and mimicking a cabaret strip tease in front of little children are by definition groomers and they are engaging in child endangerment. In any company like Phillips 66 here in Bartlesville or State Farm Insurance here in Bartlesville, or a local dentist called Safari Smiles here in, in Bartlesville that is sponsoring these events should be sued for child endangerment. My argument is this, Bob. They don't want that image. I mean, what local small-town city mayor wants to be branded, uh, go viral as, a, as a, a child groomer? I mean, he doesn't want that, nor does Philip 66 or ConocoPhillips. I think it's time to take this to the court of public opinion, sue these people, we probably won't win in a court of law. I'm not arguing that. But we need to find good attorneys that will take this case on with the intent of winning in the court of public opinion. And that can, I believe that can be a victory. I'll I'll take a break. I'm not a lawyer, but aren't there such, and maybe I've seen too much TV, aren't there public decency laws Aren't there things yes. that require, you know, you must be 18 or over to go into if a regular strip club? If you want to go to some regular strip club, go to go to Scores or someplace in New York City, you have to be 18. They, your children are not allowed. There's no such thing as a family-friendly strip club. So if that's the case, why can't you win in a court of law by saying when you bring the strip club to the kids, you are, you're violating whatever that law was? I I think your point is spot on. However, our city attorney here in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, is arguing that this is not a strip tease, that what's one man's weed is another man's flower. That's one of the quotes. In other words, 
the definition of a strip tease or a cabaret performance is a subjective, not an objective uh, definition. And that these guys that are dressing up in drag and dancing in the public park aren't necessarily engaging in adult performance. I think that's garbage. I think that's nonsense. When they're wearing I mean, fishnet stockings got- and, and, and rear end showing, um, underwear exactly. or whatever you want to call it, many of them putting giant fake prosthetic breasts inside uh, bras that they shake in front of these kids. And when they literally turn around and shake their rear ends, whatever they look like, um, in, in, in the faces of the quote-unquote family-friendly crowd, how can that possibly not be called a sexualized stripped club-type performance? Spot on. And e- you know what? Why don't we sue accordingly? That's yes, my point. That's what I it's want. It's time to stop being nice. And, you know, I, I despise Gloria Allred. I think she's an ambulance chaser to the extreme. But there's something that she does that's very shrewd. She doesn't care whether the Me Too accusation against Kavanaugh is accurate or not. She doesn't care. She doesn't care whether she's going to actually win in the court of law. What she cares about is winning in the court of public opinion. And that's pretty shrewd. We need to look at what some of these other left-wing attorneys do that actually do move the ball forward for their agenda by filing these lawsuits, by engaging in, in um, litigation, by getting an attorney to make a big pub- public splash over the issue. We need to do the same. And even if we do lose in the local courts, who cares? We'll make a big splash in public opinion, and we will shine a light on the reality of what's going on. These men are grooming children and the companies that are sponsoring these parties in the park like conico phillips phillips 66 state farm insurance the local credit union this dentist in bartlesville we should shame them we should make them go viral for what they're doing and it's bold faced child exploitation and there's no other definition for it yeah it is all of the above um you know the the hard part for me is that i feel like we'd have a better chance winning in the court of law based on the things you and i discussed than we would in the court of public opinion because the public is cowed they're terrified of saying yeah we don't like that we disagree with that we don't want you you know grooming our children because as soon as you say something like that you're a hater you're a bigot you're an lgbtq hater you're a uh you know a transphobe and all these other nonsense things uh and they get canceled so people are afraid in the court of public opinion to render their verdict out loud. They have to stay silent or else they end up losing friends and maybe jobs and maybe, maybe other, uh, you know, maybe things in their social lives because they, they've come out that way. Well, and that's the second point that I make in this article that I wrote for the Times, and that is this. Christians have a I, – I run into this all the time. Good conservative Christians will respond, well, shouldn't we have a conversation with these people before we condemn them, condemn them and sue them? Aren't we obligated to sit down and talk about them and try to figure out their motives? And my point in my article is no. The time for conversation is over. Biblically, let's go look at what Jesus did. Did he have a conversation with the Pharisees when he called them a brood of vipers? Did he have a conversation with the money changers in the temple? No. Did John the Baptist have a conversation with Herod when he condemned his adultery? Did Paul have a conversation with the Romans when he told them that the wages of sin is death? There are examples after examples in the Old Testament for sure. Sodom and Gomorrah, Nineveh. The story of Jonah, et cetera, et cetera. Moses coming down off of Mount Sinai and condemning the Israelites for melting their jewelry down into a golden calf. People died because of that. So the time for conversation is long gone. Biblically, I would argue, we are obligated to call for confession and stop prattling on about wanting to have a conversation with these people that are grooming our kids. 
Dr. Everett Piper laying it out as only he can. Very well said, Dr. Piper. Uh, I very much appreciate your time. The next time we will talk will be post-Christmas, so let me wish you, wish you a most sincere and blessed Merry Christmas. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Likewise to you. Thank you, sir. That's Dr. Piper on AM 1420, The Answer. It's 1030 and time for our news. On the other side, we're going to stay in the culture war here. There's a teacher at Jackson Schools in Ohio who was no longer a teacher there because she was ordered by administrators to use fake words and fake names to refer to children, which she knew was against her religion, against her faith, and against all common sense, quite frankly. Uh, she is no longer teaching for them, and she is suing them. And she is now represented by Alliance Defending Freedom. We're going to talk to the attorney representing her next on AM 1420, The Answer. So you still of tyranny. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Onward now at 1038. Thanks for being with us. Thanks again to Dr. Everett Piper. Terrific conversation last half hour. Thanks also to Jim Jordan who joined us. If you missed either of those interviews, you can catch them later today. It'll be uploaded to the podcast page at whkradio.com. Make sure you check it out. By the way, speaking of podcasts, we're live again tonight at 7 o'clock. Jack Windsor and I talking smack with Bob and Jack. We're going to have a, a lot of Ohio issues to cover from Columbus and beyond. Uh, but uh, make sure you tune in for that. It'll be live on Rumble, Facebook, and YouTube. And then, of course, it'll be shared to the podcast forum of your choosing. Podbean, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it. It'll all be available for you. So can you imagine going to work, no matter what your job is, but if you work for the government in some capacity or another as a public uh, servant as opposed to a private employee, can you imagine going to work and being told, when you get here to your job, you set your beliefs aside. You set your religious convictions aside, and you do what you're told. As a public servant, that's just the way that it's supposed to be. And if you don't, well, you might as well get out. <clears throat> we're not going to fire you, but we're going to recommend that you resign. Because that is exactly what happened to a teacher at Maslin Jackson, Jackson Local School <coughs> District, told Vivian Garrity, um, you're going to use the pronouns and the names that your kids tell you they want you to use, or you're gone. Um, and needless to say, she's gone. Also, needless to say, she's fighting back, uh, and she enlisted the help of ADF, our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom, the foremost uh, legal ministry in America, which works so very hard to protect people's rights to their freedom of religion and to their freedom of speech. And joining us now, uh, representing um, uh, Vivian Garrity, is uh, Logan Speed. He is Speen. He is uh, an attorney representing Spina. Excuse me, and I'm trying desperately to find that bio that I had. There it is. Legal counsel for the Center for Academic Freedom with ADF, where he defends the rights of students, professors, and organizations to speak, associate, and worship freely. Logan Spina, thank you for your time this morning. How are you, sir? Thanks for having me. I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing well, too. Merry Christmas to you. Um, uh, I, I love you guys. Every time I have somebody from ADF on, I, I just feel so uh, inspired uh, that you guys are willing to do what you do pro bono for all of these people who have had their rights violated, particularly their rights to religious liberty. So I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, first question is, how's Vivian doing? You know, she's doing pretty well. Uh, I, I think she's uh, excited by the opportunity to tell her story and to stand up for her rights and for other teachers. Obviously, this is a 
situation that nobody wants to be in and in our country nobody should be in. Uh, but, no, I think she's handling it really well. Well, I'm glad to hear that because um, she is obviously, you know, very, very important here. This is—I don't want to call it a test case. I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know if that's the right terminology. Anyway, but but there is some precedent that that is going to be set here. I think, uh, depending on how this thing turns out, um, let's talk about what she objected to that led her to file a complaint or at least have a conversation with administrators at her school uh, before they told her, you know what. Set your beliefs to the side, will you hear? You're a public servant. Do what you're told to do. What was she complaining about? Sure. So two of her students asked her in her school year and in in the new school year in her classroom to address them using new names that were inconsistent with their legal names and their sex and to refer to one of them using pronouns that were inconsistent with that child's sex as well. But it's not just using a name or using a pronoun. What this really is is it's a request to participate in social transition, to personally validate and even reinforce those identities. And people understand and experts recognize social transition is not a neutral approach. You're not just going along with something as it is. You're engaged in what they call an active intervention. And as people in the United Kingdom and Sweden are recognizing now, this active intervention has its own set of psychological and psychiatric effects that are negative for most children when when this is deployed. So Vivian understood this. She understood it's communicating something that's not true, that a, that a male child is really a she or that a female child is a he. And she understands that it's not something that's good for children. And so she didn't want to be a part of that. So not wanting to do something that is not good for children seems reasonable enough for me to say, yeah, you're right, do your thing here. But it's more than just you know the, her knowledge of what isn't good for children. Tell me about the religious component. Yeah, absolutely. So, so Vivian is a Christian. She believes that the God of the Bible is real and is our creator, that all of us are his creation. And that part of that includes the, the, the nature of human beings as male or female, part of the image of God expressed in the way he made us. And so everyone is, is male or female in the image of God as well. And, and so Vivian can't communicate a message that contradicts that either. And so as you mentioned, she proactively went to the administration on this. It's not true that either of the students complained. Uh, It's not true there was ever any disruption of the educational environment. She went to her principal to say, look, this is is my belief. Is there anything else that can be done? But within two hours of them finding out that it was her religious beliefs that kept her from being willing to personally participate in the social transition, within two hours of that, they handed her a laptop and ordered her to write her letter of resignation. What? They didn't... (laughs) <laughs> I mean, talk about just asking for a lawsuit. So so when she brought up her own religious liberty, which, of course, is protected by the First Amendment, they said, get out. They handed her the laptop and said, you can't teach her anymore. That's right. So, you know, as you mentioned sort of in introducing this topic, mm-hmm. they, they, they told her as a, as, a, as a public servant she'd be expected to set her religious beliefs aside. She, she, she specifically mentioned her constitutional rights. She said, I don't think you can force me to do that under the First Amendment. Uh, and and they disagreed with that. And they handed her a laptop. She she wrote her res- resignation on the spot, explaining um, that it, you know she didn't believe that it was that it was right that she had to do that. But she she did this. She's a young teacher. She was basically ordered to do this by these administrators, and they walked her out of the building. Did they tell her that if she did not write um, a resignation, that they would just fire her on the spot? They didn't say they'd fire on the spot, but it was her understanding that that was her only option. If she didn't, if she didn't do the resignation on the spot, that she'd have, she'd be terminated. 
Is there a legal benefit to, uh, because I'm trying to think why they would say, look, you need to resign rather than we can't have you here anymore, you're dismissed. Is there a legal benefit for them getting her to say, I quit rather than you are fired? Because I feel like there's a reason they did that. They might have thought that there was. There certainly isn't. So the, the legal rule here is called constructive discharge. Right. So if an employer says you've got no choice but to resign or be fired, that still counts as a termination. Uh, Vivian, as a teacher, was, you know, was part of a collective bargaining agreement and all that stuff. So perhaps they thought they could avoid some of the grievance process and things like that. I really have no idea what they were thinking. Okay. Uh, but as far as Vivian's rights are concerned, this is this is equivalent to a termination. So we're, we're, we're talking with Logan Spina. He's representing um, Vivian Garrity. She was an English teacher at Jackson Memorial Middle School in Massillon until the district officials uh, forced her out, as Logan just described. Tell me what the reaction has been, if you're aware, um, in the school community, either from other teachers or from parents or from students. Are they backing her? Or are they you know, joining this crazy movement of um, political correctness and um, uh, what do they call it, gender-affirming care or language. Um, how, how are they seeing things there in Jackson? Vivian has personally received some expression of support and, and some less kind expressions. Uh, and then the school board itself did send out a letter to the school community. And it's really pretty interesting because they disclaimed having a policy that actually requires what the administrators told Vivian that she had to do. But from our perspective, that only makes Vivian's claim stronger because part of what she's complaining about is basically that school officials were treating people unequally based on their assessment of religion as as opposed to applying a neutral and general policy to everyone. That, that I think, is evidenced by the fact that they forced her out within two hours of finding out about her religious beliefs. So really, I think what the school board said is, is pretty... Uh, pretty helpful to us, but that's really been been all that's happened so far. That you know the lawsuit was filed just about a week and a half ago, um, and we'll be hearing the first legal reply from the from the school. We expect uh, at the end of this month. Um, let me let me ask you about what her goal is here. Um, you know, whenever I think about some of the cases you guys have had with Baronel Stutzman and and Jack Phillips and Lori, uh, what's her name? Creative the three hundred three creative Lori Smith, I think. Sure, Lori Smith. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they want to be left alone to do their businesses without being hassled. They want to be able to you know conduct their business. But in Vivian's case, she probably doesn't want her job back, does she? Does she want to go back to a hostile environment? What is what does winning look like here for her? So it looks like a few different things. She is seeking reinstatement. That's because she's legal, legally entitled to that. And, and it's important for her as, as a young teacher. Right? She, this is only her third year uh, teaching at the school and recently graduated from college. It's important for her just as a matter of not having her entire career trajectory derailed by the unlawful acts of, of the school district here in order to clean all this up, essentially. In terms of whether or not feasibly she can be reinstated, we absolutely think that she can. Because uh, part of what happened here, you know, was it, it all happened in the course of a couple of hours. On the one hand, that highlights sort of the legal problems of what the district did. But on the other hand, I think it means there, there should be no reason why, once this is settled and explained why that action was unlawful, why she couldn't continue to teach. Um, but either way, that's an important part of what's going on. In addition to that, it's absolutely just the the vindication of her rights, the fact that, as you sort of mentioned, this is a problem going on all over the country, but it's one that has not been well settled by the courts yet. And so it's important to to stand up for her own rights and for the rights of teachers in general to be free from state compulsion to use their own voice to advance something that they think is false and harmful. 
Um, does she want uh, money? Is there a financial component sure. to this? Sure. I mean, so she, you know, she, she's not able to work uh, at, at this job for uh, for the, the entire school year, so she's seeking damages for that. Just the compensation that she's owed, um, and then of course, uh, this is a loss. This is a uh, basically this sort of represents a willful disregard of constitutional rights as well, which is the justification for punitive damages. Um, the you know, as, as I think we sort of have talked about a little bit, the, the, the speed at which they, they did this, the, the direct order that you're expected to set your religious beliefs aside as a public servant, which is simply false under our constitutional tradition. All that stuff would support a finding of punitive damages from the district as well. We're talking with Logan Spina. He is the legal counsel for the Center for Academic Freedom with ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, and he's defending uh, and uh, representing Vivian Garrity. She's a teacher. If you just turned us on, she's a teacher with uh, Maslin's Jackson Schools, Jackson Middle School. She was, anyway, an English teacher before she was uh, forced to uh, give up her position because she said to the administrator she would not be calling children uh, by their non-given names, uh, nor would they... Um, uh, nor would she call them by pronouns, which are not accurate, which is matters to an English teacher. By the way, myself included, I was an English teacher in another life before I uh, converted to radio, and I wouldn't be calling people plural pronouns when they're individuals, and I certainly would not be calling them the opposite sex pronouns uh, that our language you know, has, has set for us. Uh, I wanted to share with you briefly um, a response that we got from Jackson Schools. We reached out to them to try to have somebody come on and tell us why they did what they did. And not surprisingly, they won't come on, but they sent us a copy of the letter that they sent to their faculty and staff. And I just want to read a quick portion of it for you and get your reaction to it, uh, Logan. First and foremost, our mission is clear. Students are our first priority, and we are determined to create the best possible learning environment while respecting individual and cultural differences. Our reputation and performance show our success at doing just that. We must not allow ourselves to be distracted from that mission. They went on to write, we will also follow the law. The U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights has made it clear it will enforce Title IX's ban on discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, I, I want to get your reaction to both of those things. First of all, students being the top priority and apparently teachers not being any priority at all if they're being forced to do things against their will and against their faith. But secondly, Logan, here in the state of Ohio, um, this, the Ohio Board of Education just last week passed a resolution, uh, stating that they are advising the state superintendent to advise all districts in this state to not follow the Title IX changes being advanced by the federal government, uh, because they do not agree that gender identity should be covered by Title IX because it essentially, inf- uh, affects and impacts the rights of actual girls who, you know, have been protected by Title IX for 50 years. So can you talk about how that part plays into this case? Absolutely. There's a whole lot there, but I'll, I'll try know. and do it reasonably quickly. Okay. So the, the first part you mentioned, sort of the, the, the desire to create a welcoming environment in general, you know, obviously that's completely inconsistent with their position on this particular issue, which is if you're not going to agree, and not just agree, but personally express your support for a particular view of sexual orientation and gender identity, this fundamental issue, there's, there's no place for you, especially if you, you, you view that from a religious perspective. And, and one thing that Vivian has made really clear is one reason she likes being a teacher and wanted to, to be a teacher for her career is she understands that the example that teachers set for students is so important. 
And so that's part of her rationale for, one, not wanting to personally participate in the social transition, but also for one of the reasons that she's doing what she's doing now, which is standing for her rights. She wants to set a good example for students. And the school district's perspective on this really is, it really is counter to the interests of both teachers and the students themselves, because it really just de- de- deprives them of any kind of meaningful diversity when it comes to religious views or views on these issues of sexuality and gender identity. And that's sort of what schools are supposed to be doing, especially public schools in this country, is to prepare people to be citizens in a plural society, and they're completely undercutting that purpose. On the Title IX side, it's really interesting what you pointed out. On the one hand, interpreting Title IX to include gender identity in general is completely wrong for for the reason you just mentioned, that it's designed to preserve sex distinction and to preserve and promote the opportunities of women and girls in publicly funded institutions. Precisely. But it, it goes even... It goes, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I was just uh, okay. emphasizing what you just said. I said precisely. Please continue. Oh, understood. So, so it goes even beyond that, though, because <clears throat> the, the, the claim by the school district here that they somehow needed to do what they did in order to avoid discriminating based on gender identity just isn't true, because consistent treatment based on sex isn't discrimination based on gender identity, right? To unpack that a little bit, whenever you're trying to, to assess whether discrimination is going on based on a particular characteristic, what you've got to do is ask, does that characteristic cause the person to be treated differently? And in this case, gender identity never causes any student to be treated differently. Right? Vivian just addresses people consistent with their legal name and sex in general. It's people that wish to be addressed differently that are asking to be treated differently. And Vivian will accommodate that as far as her conscience allows. But the fact that she can't grant every request to be treated differently doesn't mean that she's discriminating based on sex. A really simple analogy comes in in the sports context because Title IX applies there too. Mm-hmm. Right? If you've got one student who's male and identifies as male, you've got one student who's male and identifies as female, and you've got one student that's male and identifies as non-binary, well, all three of those males are going to play on the same team. And the, the gender identity of the person never makes a difference, right? It doesn't cause them to go to different leagues. In effect, actually treating them that way would really be the difference based on gender identity, right? But there's really no discrimination when you treat people consistently based on sex. So this whole thing is just, is just blatantly wrong. That is a very good explanation, and I did give you a lot to unpack, and I appreciate you doing it. And I'm going to ask you to do just one more quick one here. It's one more line from the letter from the Jackson schools to their uh, to their community. Quote, it is also important to correct some misinformation that is circulating related to this situation. The Jackson Local School District, and this is emphasized with bold print and under underscore, does not have a policy regarding our teachers and the gender identity of students. As stated above, our policy is to provide the best, safest learning environment possible for each student in compliance with the law. Uh, Logan, from a legal perspective, does that not essentially let them treat everything on a case-by-case basis and on a whim? They can decide, that I'll allow, that one I won't allow. You're fired or have to resign. You're okay. If they don't have a set policy, they can just they can play it as it comes. That's exactly right. So from our perspective, that line in their letter is legally really helpful to us. I've got no idea why they decided to say that. <laughs> because what they're admitting is, if you don't have a policy, then why did they make Vivian resign? It's because their, their officials have unlimited discretion to do that. And in, right. in, in this particular case, it appears they're using their discretion to implement a bias against her because of her faith. That violates her constitutional rights from both the free exercise perspective and just the basic due process perspective.
Well, I'll tell you what, um, that's very well said, by the way, and I'm glad they did include that because I, I do think it does help your side, again, from a layman's perspective here. Uh, Logan Spina, a legal counsel, he is the uh, the attorney representing Vivian Garrity. We're early in this thing. I guess the complaint was just made on the 12th uh, motion for pre- preliminary injunction, from what I see, and a plaintiff's mo- a motion in support of motion for preliminary injunction. So this is at the very beginning of a very long process. What is the next step, Logan? The next step is we'll hear... Uh, from the defendants, the district, in their response to that motion you just mentioned. they're gonna That response is due here at the end of this month, and we'll be filing a reply to that response at the beginning of January. And then hopefully the court will have a hearing on that motion, basically to see whether or not the court assesses her case and thinks she's, it's worth ordering her reinstatement on an immediate basis, which we think it is. Uh, so hopefully we'll have that hearing as soon as possible sometime in January. Well, we're going to follow it as closely as we can in the media, and we hope we can uh, reach out to you for updates on this as it goes forward. This is a very, very important case for an awful lot of people, and I know that's the only reason you guys take cases like this is ones that are going to impact a lot of people, their freedom of speech, their liber- their religious liberty. Uh, so uh, hopefully we can check in with you again soon, Logan, and thank you so very much for what you're doing. Look forward to talking to you in the future. Thanks for having me today. Thank you, sir. God bless. Merry Christmas. All right, that's uh, Logan Spina, Legal Counsel with Alliance Defending Freedom, working hard for Vivian Garrity. That's it, guest-wise today. Three really great conversations. Uh, Let's spend the last 45 minutes of this show uh, responding to it. 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. I'd love to hear from you on those stories or anything else we've got going on this morning on Always Right Radio, AM 1420 DS. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three. Underway now, 10 minutes past 11 o'clock on this Thursday, the 22nd morning of the 12th month of the year of our Lord, 2022. I want to open uh, this hour by repeating what I said in the first hour uh, about my crew, uh, my, my bullpen. I mean, if I'm the starting pitcher, man, I, I can't get wins because nobody goes nine innings all the time anymore. I can't get wins unless i got a pen that can come out and just lock it down. Uh, and that's what I've got. I uh, called uh, Khalid Namar out of the pen for Monday when I was uh, headed to Florida. I called Peter Kersenow to relieve him in the eighth uh, as I uh, was at the Boca Raton Bowl on Tuesday and then I called Rob Walgate to finish it and close it yesterday as I was on my way back. Um, and they were phenomenal. They were phenomenal. 
I think I might even dare I say it was uh, it was a no hitter. It was a uh, 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 what do we call it? No hitter when when multiple guys do it. Uh, blah 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 blah. Um, combined, combined. It was a combined no hitter. Jeez, you'd think I did sports radio for twenty years. <laughs> uh, it was a combined no hitter. We had a terrific job, I know, by those three guys, and I want to thank them all for their participation and their contributions. Everything they bring, it's a uh, bring. It's a uh, peace of mind to know that when you leave uh, for a trip or for whatever the reason reason might be, you got to be off. That the show is in good hands. Uh, I take you know I know the reason I give them so much you know so many kudos and so much praise is because I feel the same way when I f- host the Dennis Prager show and the Hugh Hewitt show and the Brandon Tatum show and I used to do the Larry Elder show when I get to do those they tell me uh, how much it means to them to know that the show is in great hands and uh, damn if it isn't true. It really feels good. There's this peace of mind you get when you know you've left it in good hands. So thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate all of your hard work. All right, phone lines are open now at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. There are a lot of different stories on the table right now for you to choose from. I just had three interviews on different subjects. Going back to uh, Jim Jordan's interview in in the 930 portion of the show, we talked about the ridiculous criminal referral of the um uh, of the uh, January 6th committee of President Trump to the Department of Justice for potential criminal charges. This is about the biggest fraud. And in, a, in seven years of fraudulent pursuit of one man because they were terrified of what he could do to their power structure, seven years of fraudulent pursuit, meaning the, the, the uh, Russian collusion hoax right out of the gate, they got a, a warrant based on a bunch of lies from a FISA court to spy on the Trump campaign before he even won. And then when he won, they kept spying while he was president of the United States. They impeached him. They impeached him again over a phone call, shockingly enough, to the same Zelensky that is now extorting the United States to the tune of about $100 billion. But I digress. But they impeached him twice. They they charged him with collusion. Then they tried to say that Donald J. Trump uh, incited violence on January 6th, that jo- Donald Trump tried to rally up his crowd and make them go and attack the, uh, the Capitol while the certification uh, of the election was being conducted. They, they want you to believe that Donald Trump tried to overthrow the government. And you know what? I'll tell you what, maybe they have a point. Maybe they have a point considering, you know, Donald Trump did say things like, hey, everybody, go be peaceful and patriotic. Ooh, those are some really, really dangerous terms there. Go be peaceful and patriotic and make your voice heard. That would be a great thing to do. We're going to walk down to the Capitol. And we're going to cheer on our brave senators and Congressmen and women, I know that everyone here will soon be marching over to the Capitol building to peacefully and patriotically make your voices heard. In other words, you know, protest, which is the hallmark of this republic for crying out loud. Protests against the British crown are what led to the revolution for crying out loud. There have been protests in the streets that have been protected, that have been allowed, that have been supported, that have been encouraged by government. President Trump encourages protests, meaning make your voices heard. That means stand outside the Capitol and let them hear you. In no way, shape, or form does it mean attack the Capitol. Does it mean go and try to break a window to get into the Capitol or any of the other nonsense and rioting that did take place after the fact to pin this 
on Trump is so much more than just looking for justice and, and, and to defend democracy. The way the uh, January 6th committee has presented this whole thing, this is an attempt to stop Trump from running for office again. It's why they wanted to uh, 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 impeach him after he already left office over the, the, uh, the phone call. Or I'm sorry, not not over the phone call, over the uh, uh, the uh, uh, January sixth events themselves. the The idea was get him convicted of that, then he can't run. Then we don't have to worry about him anymore. Maybe if we just get him impeached, and this is why you had people like Anthony Gonzalez voting to impeach without due process. Let's just take a chance. Maybe now that he's not president anymore anyway, maybe the Senate will get a few more Anthony Gonzalez and other uh, uh, left-wing Republicans who will, on the Senate side, vote to actually convict. And then once he's convicted, he can never, ever run again. They tried. Didn't work. So now this is the next step. Now we'll start. We'll retry him. It's kind of like double jeopardy didn't apply. We'll retry him in a court of public opinion and with the goal of getting a criminal referral uh, to, to the DOJ by creating this January 6th committee. We won't allow any Republicans who will defend him to be a part of it. We will not allow a Jim Jordan or a Jim Banks or a Troy Nels or any of these people to sit on that because we don't want to have to answer tough questions about why things went down the way they went down. We'll just put up nine people who hate him. We'll put up edited video footage and audio footage. We'll put up un uh, uh, um cross-examined, non-cross-examined, if you will, or unfettered uh, testimony against him, and we'll refer to the DOJ, and they'll get him on something even trivial, and then he can never run again. This is an attempt to destroy one man for the purposes of nothing more than raw, pure political power. And Jim Jordan knows it, and he and they wrote a 141-page report about the lack of security at the Capitol on that day, despite multiple, multiple requests for security because they knew protests were going to happen. And again, I don't think any of them ever thought that the protesters would quote-unquote attack the building. But when you have protesters, you know there's going to be Antifa counter-protesters. You know you're going to have violence. You're going to have clashes like you did in the entire summer of 2020 and into the fall between Antifa and BLM and then conservatives you know, waving flags and all the way down the line. You had a potential for violence, and they wanted protection, and they dropped the ball. They did not provide that protection for the Capitol or for anybody there. Didn't bring up the National Guard. Did nothing. And so Jordan's report that they have just made public lays out everything that was done, the conspiracy kind of behind the scenes between the uh, Capitol Sergeant-at-Arms and Nancy Pelosi to kind of make sure that if things got a little bit wild and off the hook, it got very wild and unrestrained so that they could then claim insurrection, attack on democracy. Trump did it. Now we got him. I mean, there's persecution, and then there's persecution. Then there's persecution of the likes of which they did to Donald Trump. And it needs to be exposed. I only pray that the Republican majority house gets its head out of its rear and names a speaker 
and doesn't dilly-dally around with too many challenges to the point where the Democrats could slide in and, and nominate their own sp- person for speaker and actually have more votes than a split Republican majority has, thereby giving the Democrats the speaker in a Republican majority. It's a rare, almost impossible thing to have happen, but I will tell you this. If anybody can make the pos- impossible possible on a negative, in a negative way, it is this modern-day Republican Party. As a conservative, I feel almost homeless because I've got nowhere to go. The Republican Party has been so bad. I can only pray that they get their act together and then that subpoenas are a flying at the House Oversight Committee and the House Judiciary Committee. I want these people to have to answer for what they've done. So I welcome your thoughts on that, too. 216-901-0945, Sally has been waiting ever so patiently in Berea. And, Sally, thank you so much. You're on the air. Good morning. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. I'm glad you took some family time at this Christmas season, and your guest hosts were wonderful. Thank you I for that. Called, I called because of that monstrous omnibus bill. Yeah. I think it's one reason that we didn't get all the Republican support that we should have in the midterms because of issues where Republicans and rhinos cave on on things. I'm not surprised by McConnell's um, take on this, but I'm very disappointed. And some of the egregious things in it, one of the things that I felt insulted by was throwing some border, some funds towards the border, (laughs) <laughs> to taunt us, and then saying that we couldn't use its border insecurity, they, we can't use it for the guards or, or for the border um, protection. All they can do is pamper the illegals, which they have been doing, and they want more money to do that. And I was very insulted. But in 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 spite of that, I want to wish you Merry Christmas and your staff. Well, you already did that. Sally, because I want to tell you that I received your card, and that was very, very sweet. It was a very, very sweet gesture, a wonderful Christmas gesture. Gesture. Uh, I appreciated it. Everybody I showed it to appreciated it, too. So thank you for that, and thank you for being such a loyal listener and being such a great patriot. I appreciate it, and I wish you a Merry Christmas, too. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. All right, that's Sally and Maria. She is a, an absolute sweetheart, and she is right. I, too, am insulted by <clears throat> that portion of the end. That's why I focused on it. <clears throat> Mitch McConnell declaring that he supports and agrees with the uh, 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 $1.7 trillion omnibus spending bill because protecting and defending Ukraine and their border with Russia is the number one priority for the United States, he said. The number one priority. He claims that Republican priorities are met in this $1.7 billion Democrat monstrosity. Because Republicans want the same thing Democrats want, which is for the Ukrainians to win the war. That's Making sure the Defense Department can deal <clears throat> with the major threats coming from Russia and China. Providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians. That's the number one priority for the United States right now, according to most Republicans. According to most Republicans, the number one priority is giving $100 billion to Ukraine to a, a leader who has no transparency whatsoever, 
no responsibility to show everybody where the money is going. I mean, yes, they talk about, uh, you know, uh, um, Patriot missiles, and they talk about a couple of other things, but they don't account for every dollar that we are sending them. And the worst part about it is Joe Biden then said, don't worry, there's plenty more where that came from. Literally, we will be backing you, supporting you, financially and otherwise, for, quote, as long as it takes. And I said this earlier in the show, and I'll repeat it now. That means we have an undetermined amount of money, limitless money, that will be spent on another country, Ukraine, for an indefinite period of time. Maybe there's no end ever, because it's, quote, until for as long as it takes. And then uh, to achieve an outcome, which is unknown. Because as long as it takes to do what? <clears throat> Has Zelensky said the minute <clears throat> we drive the Russians back on their side of the border and things are like they were before they came in, it's over? No, he hasn't said that. Because it won't be over in the mind of many Ukrainians, including Zelensky, until Vladimir Putin is gone. They want regime change in Russia. And regime change in Russia will not happen with a meager Ukrainian military presence. It would require everything the United States has, either in a proxy war or in a direct war with the Russians. Is that what you want? Because your president does. President Joe Biden does. So you start talking about protecting the border, but not our border. Not the one with five to 8,000 people crossing it every single day. Not our border, but the Ukrainian border, along with the Middle Eastern borders of a bunch of countries that apparently have their own squabbles, and they can't pay for their own mess or to clean up their own mess. So we got to pay them, but not our own. Yeah. Sally, I'm with you. It, it insults me, too. It insults me, and it infuriates me. Quick time out, 216-901-0945. Always right ready. So you look at the leadership on the Senate side for the Republicans, and you've got uh, Mitch McConnell, who has no business being in a leadership position anywhere. You've got him uh, saying, yes, this is the most important thing for the entire American people, according to most Republicans. we got to fund Ukraine and help Ukraine win the war. He's the House Minority Leader, or excuse me, the Senate Minority Leader. Over on the House side, the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, has a little bit of a different view of this. Actually, I explained to everybody. No more blank checks for Ukraine. We want to make sure where the money spent, what's the strategy behind it. But this is exactly what they're doing again. They moved a continuing resolution to right before Christmas. They, they're passing, trying to pass this where nobody can read it. You're correct. You have Leahy and Shelby, two senators who will no longer be senators 14 days from now, write a bill that they wouldn't even show anybody. Then they're going to have the House of Representatives tell them, you can't leave for Christmas until you vote on this. Well, you know what? The American people are smarter than this. The American people understand. They want to stop wasting money causing more inflation. They want to have a say in this process. I'm not a huge Kevin McCarthy fan. Uh, I go back and forth on him. Sometimes he's spot on, and in this case, he's spot on. He's exactly right. No more blank checks for Ukraine. Does that mean you don't support the Ukrainian community in, in Parma or in Northeast Ohio? Of course not. Does that mean you want Russia to win? Of course not. Does that mean you are a closet Putin supporter? Of course not. But there has to be limitations. There has to be a cap. There has to be transparency. And none of those things seem to be in place when it comes to our ongoing subsidizing of Ukraine's war against Russia. 
11.30, now time for news. We'll come back. i got more phone calls. Uh, if you want to make them, dial it now, 216-901-0945. Right back on Always Right Radio. Switching to This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. Okay, 1138, excuse me, 1138 on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Always appreciate you being with us. Let's take a call from AC, who's calling us from Cleveland now on AM 1420, The Answer. AC, go right ahead. Hello, Bob. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I want to correct something that had gone forth. Uh, last Friday concerning Hanukkah, and it's through no fault of your own, but I I feel this is necessary to correct. Uh, Somebody had said that Hanukkah was celebrated because the Jews had a civil war among themselves, and part of the Jews had uh, were trying to protect the temple from being defiled by the other Jews. Well, the truth is, it wasn't a civil war among the Jews. It was a it was a war or a battle against the Seleucids who had taken over the temple. And there was a a individual, kind of like a Hitler, named Antiochus Epiphanes, who wanted to destroy the Jewish culture. Uh, AC, I'm going to I'm going to stop you there because I don't I, I don't have time for the whole Hebrew lesson. I just don't. Uh, I, I mean, if you want to make a quick point about something, somebody went wrong, but I just don't have time to do the whole religious lesson. Lesson. I just, okay. Well, I'm just saying it's <clears throat> it wasn't a civil war. Okay. And uh, the important thing about it was it was a about the oil that kept the lights going, the miracle oil for eight days. Okay, so, and, which is which is which is what the menorah the the menorah is symbolizes. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, got it, got it. And and that is important to know. And it, this is what day five, I think it is of uh, Hanukkah. If I'm not, it started on Sunday. It I think. started Sunday night. Yeah, and the the Jews go their days are from night to night. Right, so, right, right, right. So this is so this is yeah, I believe this is the fifth day of Hanukkah. So I will use that opportunity. And thank you, AC. I appreciate the phone call. Uh I do have to get some other things done here. That's why I didn't have time to hear the whole uh story. And and not to mention I don't want to turn this into a show that it's not. Uh I am not qualified to be a biblical scholar. I don't do uh I don't do that kind of thing like Dennis Prager does. Dennis Prager not only talks about the Bible like the biblical expert and scholar that he is, he writes books about it for crying out loud. Uh, that, I, I can't do that. I don't do that. So I don't want to. I don't want to turn that into this. Not to mention, this is not that kind of a show. But I will say thank you for your interest in it, and I will say uh, happy Hanukkah to all of our Jewish listeners and friends. I love our Judeo-Christian country. I love the fact that we come together. I love the fact that we support one another, uh, and that we have so many things in common. And I love when I interviewed Dennis Prager last about his uh, rational Bible. Last time I had Dennis on, it's been about, I don't know, two, three months now, whatever it was. He pointed out something that was very, very cool and very, very intriguing and interesting to me. And that is that he um, believes, and, and, and he has very good basis for this because of the number of speeches he gives, the number of interviews he does uh, when he writes his books on the Bible, the Rational Bible series. Um, he said he has probably done more to convert non-Christians into Christians than any Christian has. <laughs> or that any Christian he's aware of. 
He's a Jewish man who who believes in you know the Bible, obviously, and 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 believes and respects and loves the Christian traditions, and doesn't try to turn people away from that and toward Judaism. He 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 helps Christian people become more faithful in their belief in Christ, and he helps non Christians find their way to it. I just think it's a fascinating thing. It's just a great part of our our culture that Judeo Christian unity uh, is able to happen the way that it is. And it really makes us, um, uh, I don't know, I think a very special country. Not to say that there, isn't diff- there aren't different faiths in other countries, but you know how it is. Particularly in some countries, Muslim countries, you know, if you are a person of another faith, you had better keep your head down and you had better not let anybody know it, or you may be in serious jeopardy. In uh, here in the United States, you can be a Muslim, you can be uh, you can be Hindu, you can be obviously Jew- Jewish or Christian, and all faiths are welcome. And no faiths are ridiculed, at least uh, um, systemically. I mean, they may be individuals who are bigoted one way or another. We've seen the New York Times, how anti-Semitic they are, when they run a swastika-themed crossword puzzle on Sunday, the first day of Hanukkah. They did their New York Times daily crossword puzzle was in the shape of a swastika. And a couple of the terms that you were looking for in the puzzle referenced the Holocaust, including boxcars uh, and other things. It could not have been an accident. It could not have been unintentional. It could not have been coincidental. It was every bit intentional. And so there are anti-Semitic, you know, forces out there. There are anti-Christian. We know. I mean, as white a white straight Christian male, I can tell you I know as well as anybody about the anti Christian bias that goes on in this country as one of the you know parts of of that definition of me as a demographic but uh and obviously there are many anti Muslim feelings because of a lot of different reasons uh so we're by no means perfect, but uh, the fact that our judeo Christian country does uh embrace both of those faiths and all others as being a, a free country is something that I think is very unique to us. So thank you for that, AC. I didn't mean to talk about religion as long as I did, but there you have it. All right, that's going to do it for today. Tomorrow, God willing, we don't have a massive power outage, in which case we'll have to make some adjustments on the fly. But we're going to have the big freeze tonight. It's going to be uh, single digits, low, low, low single digits, with wind chills, double digits below zero. Turn off the hoses, disconnect them from the house. Make sure you leave a little a little pencil-lead uh, stream of water running out of your uh, uh, faucets. Make sure that you have your insulated pipes. Make sure you take care of yourself tonight so we can all get back together Let's tomorrow morning and do it all over again. Everyone have a great day. We'll see you then. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.